listening to Irish Radio Canada at home and abroad and I have had the good fortune to bump into Charlie Lansborough here in Athlone and Charlie is performing at the Shamrock Lodge Hotel and uh, we've played Charlie's music numerous times in the past Charlie is a very very well known and accomplished singer songwriter and has some tremendous songs under his belt and my forever friend uh, being one of them okay. and uh, that's one of the really, really nice and what colour is the wind and he's done many more Charlie welcome and thanks yeah, it's great to be with you Austin not at all and uh, I feel like I've come back home because this was my first protocol when we came to Ireland uh, to Moats originally with Tony Allen of Foster and Allen oh, right. and I think one of the first gigs I ever did apart from sitting in a pub and singing a paid gig I did was uh, was in the uh, the Palace Bar, the old Palace Bar. Which is now closed up. That's right, upstairs yeah. in the Palace Bar. And of course, Tony's um, isn't it? Tony's cousin owns the hotel here, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I, think yeah. I don't know quite the relationship, yeah, but yeah, that's right. Yeah, because I lived in Mort for a number of years. Did you? Yeah. Oh, great um, little place. Uh, it is, and that was where I go back to the Roseland days. Oh yeah, <laughs> great, yeah. So, Charlie, if that was your first introduction into Ireland, your first gig in Ireland, um, when was that? That must have been, what was it, the 80s or something, and uh, Tony had just released, Foster and Allen had just released uh, I Will Love You All My Life, one of my songs. Right. I met them in Liverpool, and then uh, they invited, Tony invited me over, and I came to Moat and brought me guitar and I used to just sit in the pubs with the lads and they'd say, Charlie, there's a session tonight, as they called it. And I'd come out of somewhere and uh, in my windscreen wiper there'd be little notes. We're in the gap house tonight, Charlie. Bring your guitar, we'll see you in there. Right. And uh, I've been coming ever since, you know. Yeah. It's uh, a lovely part of the country when, when, you, when you get to know it. It's, it's smashing. The people are lovely, yeah. So, Charlie, your music and your, your writing, before, before I sat down with you, I was chatting with my wife and uh, we were just saying, like, how would you, like, a lot of your music is very spiritual. Well, I'm glad that that comes across, yeah. Because there is a, there's a depth in it that, it, like, you know, My Forever Friend, and, uh, even with What Colour Is The Wind, that My Forever Friend particularly has that depth of spirituality in it. Well, I became, uh, after, as a child, I, I first heard about Jesus Christ when I was in primary school, and I grew up in a bit of a rough area. And I thought, That's what a great, oh, I love this, I'm going to live forever, and it's good to be good. Right. And then my brothers, I come from a lovely family, but none of them were overtly sort of Christian at all. And they started ridiculing me. Have you seen what Holy Joe's reading, you know? Right. So I buried it for a number of years. I think it must have been about in my late 30s or something when I, this thing kept nagging away at me. And I went back, found a church, spoke to the minister, and he sort of laid all my fears, all the doubts I had and everything. And I've been there ever since, you know. I've, so that song is a particular, it's just an expression of my own faith in very simplistic terms because when I was teaching, every time I did a school assembly, I wrote a little song to go with the assembly. Right. And I did an assembly on friendship and with divine intervention, my sister Joyce, who's lovely and tells you she loves you when it's not even your birthday, had written on the bottom of this little card, to Charlie, my forever friend. And I thought, I've got my title. I wrote the song, uh, a little lad who'd be about six foot three now, Paddy, sang it to the whole school. And then I buried it and never did anything with it. So uh, it was an Easter Sunday and I was playing in a little festival somewhere in Norfolk. I thought, well, it's appropriate to sing a, a gospel song. So I sang that song and got this wonderful response and kept on playing it, thank goodness, you know. So, uh, and it's lovely now, very often when I'm singing it, the Irish crowds sing it with me. Right. 
and there's nothing nicer than to create something that strikes a chord in, in somebody else, you know. Now, <coughs> while your accent is very much from the other side of the Irish Sea, there's a very strong affinity for, oh. for you and Ireland and Ireland and you. Oh, I love the place, yeah. And uh, I mean, my wife Thelma's from Ireland originally. She sounds like me because she came over when she was three. But, uh, and I've got, there is a bit of Irish in me. And my name is Scottish originally. But he was married to an Irish lady, a great-grandfather called Kitty Kelly, who came from Dublin, I think. And the other side was a Welshman, a Welshwoman married to a Welsh gypsy with a bit of Italian in him. And my own mother was English, so I'm a bit of a Celtic mongrel. But as soon as I set foot in Ireland, the very first time, I thought, yes, I love this place, you know. And the people were always so good to me, even when nobody had ever heard of me. They were always treated with great kindness. And uh, my lads used to take the mickey, my sons would say, where are you going on your holidays this year, Dad? Knowing full well that the only place they ever came to was here, you know. Right. So, yeah, that love affair has been going on a long time. So, Terry, when would you say you was your first, or when you turned professional, that music was your career? Well, I'd always wanted it to be a career. Uh, I was never, I wasn't sort of starstruck or anything. It wasn't the same. Uh, I just w wanted a job in music whereby I could sustain my family. And uh, I played in pubs for donkeys, one pub in Birkenhead for 22 years. And I began to write, and that's where the connection with Foster and Allen came about and everything. And the uh, full-time sort of professionalism didn't arrive till after the Pat Kenny show in Dublin back in 95. Right. And uh, Jerry Anderson had played me on the box. And Pat Kenny was watching that night and he said, I'd like to get that lad on the show. Right. And it was amazing how it came about because I'd, it was on the heels of a rejection. Uh, Tony Allen had said to me, do you want to be our support in the spring of this year, coming year? And I said, yeah, I'll take the plunge, pack my job in and dive into it. And he phoned me in January and said, Charlie, I'm sorry, mate, we're not having a support now. So I was 53 then. I thought, you know, uh, all I ever get is rejected, you know. So I came away from the phone feeling a bit disconsolate. But the following day, I thought, no, I'm not giving up. The only thing I can think I can do well is sing, you know. So I, I thought, what can I do? I said, I'll phone the Pat Kenny show. And I phoned the Pat Kenny show. They'd had me on once before. And he said, we've been trying to get you for uh, like a month. Can you come this week? I went with just an acoustic guitar. And the following week, my son picked me up from school and said, Dad, you're in the Irish charts. And I said, what am I, 98, which would have been great for me. He said, no, Dad, you're number two. And the following week, number one. So... The transformation was born of that moment, you know, and I went on the road when Foster and Allen were doing their tour, and I'm not knocking them, they're great friends of mine, it wasn't any of their doing, but when they were doing that spring tour, I was doing my own sellout tour of Ireland, where, so it was amazing, like a fairy story, really. So, well, you successfully managed to crack the Irish shell, then um, the English shell and the, the international shell, how long did that take? To well, when I, yeah, it was a bit odd, because I remember talking to to Tony Allen I said what are you? I'm going to Scotland there do you think I'll be alright there he said Charlie do you like it in England do you like it in Scotland I thought it was like a totally different set of ears or something and then into England and then uh, the Irish people ship you abroad so then I went to Australia in fact I'm going back there in May and uh, yeah it's, it's been like that ever since and initially I thought rather naively I thought won't this be great if it lasts six months? At least I can say I did something. And here I am all these years later, I'm still fooling some of the people all of the time. <laughs> <laughs> so then the North American market. Um, 
it's a hard one to break into, but I know your songs have been recorded. Yeah. Artists over there. I think John McDermott has one, at least one or two of, of yours. Well, I've been told that there's all sorts of people listening to me over there, but I think the great opportunity was missed. I went over and I did uh, an album in Nashville, and then I did the Grand Ole Opry, I think right. three times in a week. And I went into the uh, Ernest Tubb record store a couple of days later, and the bloke came over and he said, are you that English guy, friend of George Hamilton? I said, yeah. He said, well, you want to get your company into action? He said, we could have sold 100 of your CDs in, in this shop alone this week. Yeah. Multiply that by where it's heard, but the chance had gone, you know. Yeah. But I think, I'm a great believer, and I think if God wanted me to be there, I'd have been there. You know? yeah. Yeah. And when I mentioned that I know other artists have recorded, uh, of your songs that have been recorded, who would you say uh, has been the one that has left you kind of feeling proudest of that they picked one of your songs? Well, I think whoever does it, you're absolutely delighted. Mm -hmm. from the, they might be unknown artists, but because somebody said to me once, you can never consider yourself a, a real songwriter until other people like your songs well enough to record. So I'd be doing a disservice to the many people who've recorded it to try and pick just one out, although, I mean, we've got Tony Allen here and he's done some lovely versions of my songs, you know, so, yeah, but uh, I'm just delighted that anybody wishes to record them. Right. Being a creative mind, I presume you are continuously writing. Not as much as I, I should be doing, but I will go back to it when I get back. Because I've had a bit of a, I've, I haven't said that, I've got like about 15 songs already in the recording studio right. to, to pick from. Okay. And I've got drawers full of songs. Right. It sounds wonderful that, but it's not the quantity, it's the quality. Right. And I said I'm not that successful really, because only a very tiny fraction of what I've written is worth anything. Right. But all these drawers full of lyrics and drawers full of tapes with ideas on. Occasionally you look back and find something you think, that's all right, you know. And I did that with a little song called Special, which I wrote for a school assembly. And I sang that at the Special Olympics. Right. And I've opened a school up in the northeast with that song. Uh, but I buried that. And I found that I thought, that's okay, you know. Uh, but it doesn't happen very often. You know. right, right. Charlie, I know you probably have to do your sound check and get yourself organized. I don't want to take too much any more of your time. I really appreciate that you took the time to have a chat. Not at all. It's been a pleasure. And thank and you for playing me. Austin. And we're going to continue on this with my forever friend. God bless you. Austin. Thanks for having me.